You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Enola Holmes. Now, where to begin? My mother named me Enola, which backwards spells alone. And yet, we were always together. And it was wonderful. She was my whole world. Which leads me on to the second thing you need to know. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing, and she did not return. I'm presently on the way to collect my brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes. The famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. Enola. Where's your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat. Just makes my head itch. And I have no gloves. My God. A wild woman brought up a wild child. We'll make her acceptable for society. She seems intelligent. There are two paths you can take, Enola. Yours, or the path others choose for you. It is time to find my mother. The game is afoot. <laughs> if I have to stay hidden from my brothers, I must become something... unexpected. progress nicely. Is she safe? She's our company. I'm Viscount Tewkesbury. A useless boy. You have to help me. I'm not ready to die on a train. I'm not ready to die at all and I was going to before I met you. What are you planning, Mother? She always had a reason for everything. Her own way of doing things. Perhaps she wants to change the world. It's a world that needs changing. Uh, come on! Unlike most well-bred ladies, I was never taught to embroider. I was taught to watch and listen. I was taught to fight. I'm coming to find you, Mother. You don't know how to embroider. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Noah Holmes, and the story is as follows. While searching for her missing mother, intrepid teen Enola Holmes uses her sleuthing skills to outsmart her big brother Sherlock and help a runaway lord. The film is starring Millie Bobby Brown, Sam Claflin, Henry Cavill, Helena Bottom Carter, and Lewis Partridge. It is directed by Harry Bradbeer and written by Jack Dorn. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Rebecca Daniel. Hey. And Dan Baer. Ready, my chrysanthemums. <laughs> It's another week here on the Next Best Picture podcast, and of course, because theaters are barely open across the country and no movie studios want to actually put their movies in theaters at the moment, we are reviewing another Netflix title. This was originally actually supposed to be released by Warner Brothers this year, and Netflix picked it up, and it was interesting because as I was watching it, I was like... This doesn't have the feel of a Netflix movie. I was like, what is going on here? And then, of course, when I found out that information, it all kind of made sense. And I have to admit, had this come out in a normal standard year, this would have been one of the more delightful films of the summer. And I think also probably a great surprise for many people. I think it still is a great surprise for many people. But for those who are familiar with Harry Bradbeer's work on Fleabag, especially, I don't think it will come as a surprise. Rebecca, what did you think of Enola Holmes? 
Well, I wasn't expecting a ton with it. Um, I wasn't sure like what I was getting into, but when I watched it, I was super surprised with how much I enjoyed it. I thought it was so charming. I thought it was a great coming of age mystery. And I just, I really liked it. I think I'm going to watch it again with my family. And I don't know, I felt like it was a movie that could definitely be seen in the theater. So that makes a lot of sense, what you said about Warner Brothers. I actually didn't know that fact. And I felt like it was a movie that I enjoyed watching at like, I'm 25, so I enjoyed watching it as a 25-year-old. But I know I would have loved it as a kid and just watched it like over and over and over. Absolutely. Dan Baer, what about you? Uh, This is definitely one of the most delightful movies I've seen all year. Um, And I I mean, what Rebecca said is right. It's just a lot of fun. I think Millie Bobby Brown is so endearing in the lead, although there were a few times when I just wanted, where I was screaming at the TV, I'm like, just use your 11 mind powers, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole, I mean, I, it's a, it's a big giveaway that this was not originally a Netflix movie. When you look at the cast, I think the cast is insane, um, especially for a project like this. But it's it's so enjoyable, and everyone is so well cast, and it's actually kind of well made. I might kind of. That yeah, like, uh, kind of. I mean, Dan, that... I was blown away by some of the creative decisions that were done in this movie. Like the cinematography was like better than average. The editing was better than average. Yeah, it's all like it's all better. Like none of it is great, great, but it's all much better than average. It's especially strong for what is clearly meant to be like a a teen flick. Um, you know, it's kind of for that niche audience of uh teenage girls who love period movies that aren't necessarily romances yeah uh which is a niche audience but i mean that that audience especially i think will adore this and i love that it's on netflix because i can see people watching it many times over my my literally my only problem with this movie is that it was written by jack thorne Uh. and the has all the problems of everything Jack Thorne has ever written. Well, like, uh, what are some examples that come to mind for you? Well, I I just don't know, like, how we're in the place where he has become the go-to British writer. Um, because there there is always... There's always something in... There's some theme in his all of his scripts that feels like it was either... he put it in because it was important but then underdeveloped it or he threw it in just because he felt like it Mm -hmm. and then didn't do anything with it Hmm. there's some commentary in here about um the uh suffrage movement the women's suffrage movement in london that it the it doesn't really go anywhere or do anything with and like the position of a of a young woman in this time and in this place that feels like it, it, they just could have done more with it like i had a rather hard time believing that she would actually be able to get 
to London and buy clothes and find a room that she could stay in all on her own at 16. Yeah. Being so young, I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. But I was uh, talking to a friend of mine about this movie and, you know, we were at first kind of hurling similar criticisms at this movie. And then I kind of took a step back and I realized, you know what? This is grounded sensationalism where there is expected to be a bit of suspended disbelief. But at the same time, the movie doesn't, I don't think, ever fully tip its hat into fully fledged camp territory where it's completely unbelievable. Like the story still, I think, takes itself very seriously. And I think the aesthetic of the movie and the tone of it also kind of lends itself to that. So in a bit of a way, I I really, really thought there were times where like the overall tone of it Although it was heightened, especially with like the breaking of the fourth wall, some of the comedy and things of that nature. Um, and of course, you know, her being able to do like jujitsu and things of that nature. Um, I still found it to be all within this tone in this world that uh, the filmmakers were presenting to us. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I found it to be. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't find it. I didn't find it to be like necessarily like disconnected, like um like people in the creative uh, room were like on on different pages with it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And like, to be clear, it's still enjoyable. I just like. I, I will agree that as the story goes, Dan, that. It, like as it gets bigger and it starts touching yeah. upon other issues, that's where uh, the movie loses me just a little bit. It seems like it did start to lack a bit of focus the longer it went on. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. I think that's the other big thing is that like it is kind of long. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think this should have been over two hours long. Yeah. And definitely like the pacing, especially in towards the middle and the end of the movie is a little wonky. Yeah, in terms of like the pacing of the movie, you know, I think you sometimes get that when your film is edited at such a fast paced rate as this movie is. There's a lot of cutting and there's a lot of insert shots and things of that nature. It's almost like edited like though as if it's like an Edgar Wright film at times. And I think that that does wear an audience out after a while. And you do start to feel the length as the story progresses. And, you know, I found a similar thing kind of happening here where, you know, by the time we got to the third act, it was like set piece after set piece. And then there were like shots where I was like, oh, maybe that's the final shot of the movie. And then it just kind of kept on going. Yeah. And I found myself realizing like, oh, wow, we still have. 20 minutes left holy crap like you know and so i i definitely understand what you mean by the runtime where i started to feel it a bit towards the end there it did feel like there were like multiple endings at times what'd you guys think of the fact that like you know because i don't know about you guys but you know i was thinking a lot about the guy richie sherlock holmes uh movie with robert downey jr mm-hmm. and i was thinking about like how this movie borrowed certain quirky elements from that and brought it over to here. Uh, You know, obviously they're not part of the same universe or anything like that, but I just was wondering if you guys kind of felt that connection as well. Maybe in terms of like the way that the score is done by Daniel Pemberton or, um, you know, the fact that she is this, like I said, the jujitsu stuff, I was like, okay, we're going to go there with, with that, you know, but it made me like, it reminded me of like how in Sherlock Holmes, they tried to like portray, uh, the character as being one who was like a certified badass that would like fight people and things like that, you know? I mean, it didn't 
bother me. Um, like you said, like the tone is kind of heightened throughout the whole thing, and they they introduce that really well, especially at the beginning. So these things like um, notice, but didn't bother me. I I did like the score at times, and then other. Oh, I really liked the main theme, especially. Yeah, the main theme is yeah, great, and then there were other beautiful. times when I thought it was just like. <laughs> too much like let's take it back a little bit but the main theme is is delightful and it definitely helps with the enjoyment of the movie in a lot of spots yeah dangle pemberton is a really really underrated uh composer in my opinion he's great i also as i mentioned before i'm a huge fan of the costumes the art direction and even the cinematography in this there were some uh, wide shots especially of some of like the landscapes where i was like wow i would have loved to have seen this on a big screen but even watching it at home on netflix it looked great it yeah. looked really good like they filmed it so well i think and i mean like the costumes really really pop and this and the art direction i thought was incredibly detailed but never tipping its way into like a um like it never got into like tim burton territory it, it like i said it still felt grounded in some form of realism but at the same time there were so many intricate details and you can really tell they worked really really hard on a lot of these sets to make it uh really pop out in a sensational way you know yeah like it it's a period film that always feels perfectly in keeping with its period but it still has personality i would have liked to have known what the budget on this was actually because this is definitely more detailed in terms of its like period setting than some of the other uh, indie period films that we've seen and reviewed on the podcast this year. Oh, yeah. That would be interesting to know. What do you guys think of some more of like the action set pieces, like the train scene, uh, the scenes with her and oh, my God, I can't remember that actor's name. The guy from like Pacific Rim and Game of Thrones. What? <laughs> he's got like he's got like the 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 creepiest uh voice you've ever heard he's like discount willem dafoe what the hell is that actor's name yes (laughs) who is like always he always gets cast in like this role and yeah he has the perfect perfect look for it yeah Uh, so what you guys think of like the action scenes and like them trying to like inject those kinds of elements into the story because, you know, when I think of like Sherlock Holmes, you know, you know, Sherlock Holmes is meant to be a detective. But I find more and more, even with the BBC Sherlock with like Benedict Cumberbatch, there's like this need to want to make this character in this world like more action centric. And I, I don't know. I just curious to know, like, you know, are we ever going to get a time where it's just a, a straight up like detective story? Do we have to have like all these, uh, you know, heightened elements? I enjoyed that like I enjoyed that it's not just you know punching and scraping and kicking that there was actually some style to it um I thought they were and I really did think for the most part they were shot really well and edited really well I particularly liked when there was um one or a couple of fight scenes early on in the movie where it sort of flashes between um her fighting with this guy and practice fighting with her mother in the past yeah and i, loved that I editing really liked aspect. that editing yeah i really liked the train scene too i thought that was well done and it kind of added mm. some suspense yeah train scene was great and then what'd you guys think of you know the interactions between her and uh lewis partridge in this movie especially because i really thought that their chemistry was a bit flat 
at times. And really? I, yeah, I. I didn't I, think so. No. Okay. I don't know. Uh, Maybe I just like watching like teen romances. I haven't grown out of like nine hundred two and or something. I don't. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Um, I thought they had pretty good chemistry. I'm like mixed on it. There were times where yeah. I thought it wasn't working and it felt a little too forced. And then there were times where their chemistry was showing. Like for me, it's like the gold standard of a teen romance nowadays is uh, Tom Holland and Zendaya in Spider-Man. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like their chemistry is just like so intense <laughs> every time I watch them. Uh, where here, I kind of just felt like it was... I feel like it was like a, a kind of chemistry that I've seen replicated in other movies before, and it didn't feel necessarily like unique or anything like that to me. Like it was fine. I thought it was sweet. What I thought was very interesting was I thought the the two brothers, Sam Claflin and Henry Cavill, I thought yes. their dynamic was very interesting. And one, especially for Henry Cavill, where the way that he played the role was so reserved and one where I was thinking at first, oh, he's really being cast against type, in my opinion. And I don't know if it's necessarily working for what Sherlock Holmes is supposed to be. But I thought Sam Claflin was great. I mean, everything Henry Cavill did in this movie worked for me personally. Including that hair curl. <laughs> including especially oh that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, look, this movie could have been subtitled Battle of the Chins between him and Claflin. Yeah. Um, it was just like, I appreciated having the two of them cast together and in so many scenes opposite each other. I'm obsessed with Sam Claflin's mustache in this movie. It's basically perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I like... I probably he definitely had more to work with in his character than Cavill did, but I really liked the chemistry between Henry Cavill and Millie Bobby Brown. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was good. That was what really sold this version of Sherlock to me. I, I agree with that. I think I just had a problem seeing this hulking mass of a human being <laughs> as Sherlock. <laughs> And I just couldn't get it out of my head that I'm like, oh, that's Superman. And he looks like he can bench 400 pounds. I just like, you know, I did. There were some times when I was like looking at him. I'm like, oh, like you tried customers, but you can't you can't hide that body. Clothes. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I was complaining. And speaking of costumes really quick, the fact that the movie <laughs> I watched this movie with my roommate, and the fact that the movie pulls the whole um, get shot, oh no, we're okay routine oh, uh, because of the clothes oh, we have oh underneath. My, my friends and I just kept on looking at each other. We were like, me thrill <laughs> from like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing about it. <laughs> Uh, but but once again, no, I really, really do love the costumes in this movie, especially uh, the dresses that Enola wears in this. I think okay. they are just I think they're really, really good to the point where I even considered, you know, this as a possibility for even a costume design nomination for the Oscars, actually. Oh, me too. I totally like yeah. this. I when watching it, I was like, this is the kind of movie that would show up as a surprise like CDG nominee. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What'd you guys think of Helena Bottom Carter in this? 
I thought that I thought the movie needed more of her personally. Yeah, I think she was a little underused, but I thought she did well when she showed up. I liked when it had her in the flashbacks a lot. I think those were really cool scenes. I don't know if I like the resolution at the end, though. Yeah, that yeah. was like a little anticlimactic, sort of. Yeah, And I also yeah. found that that was where the writing was really starting to get forceful again. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. Feminism, cool. Empowerment, I'm all about it. Just you don't have to spell it out in dialogue. Let the actions convey what it is that you're trying to convey. Otherwise, it does come off as pandering. Yeah, I... I... See, Helena Bottom Carter is so good that you don't need to spell everything out in dialogue. She will give it to you. Like, she will give you all that subtext. And I I wish there was more of her. I think the scenes with her in them are so great. I loved everything where she was, you know, being this, you know, badass, forward-thinking woman teaching her daughter you know, all the things that she thought she needed to really, you know, make it way for herself in this world. I absolutely loved everything about it. And then, but she's not really in most of the movie. And when, when she does show up at the end, it did feel anticlimactic. And it's like there, the movie ends up being two mysteries instead of one. And I, I think that that, is where some of the problems lie. Like we're brought into this movie. We care about the relationship between Enola and her mother. And then halfway through the movie, it switches to be about the, about Tewksbury. And that relationship is not as like, while the two of them are good together, it's not as interesting or compelling a relationship. I don't care about him as much as I do about Enola's mother. And when she, when it becomes clear that she was not, you know, abducted or, you know, and is, you know, definitely alive, it, it sucks a bit of the air out of it. And especially the their last scene together like i just like i wanted more from that scene like not that it's bad but like there's something give give me more give me more (laughs) to be honest with you i thought it would have been more powerful and actually maybe a slightly better and more mature movie if she never did find her mother at the end. Oh, I would have been upset if she didn't find her mother. <laughs> I mean, I would have been upset emotionally, but I but depending on how they sold it to us and like what kind of a greater theme they were trying to then play with, I thought it had potential to maybe be a bit more interesting than what we received is what I'm saying. Okay. I I can see that, I guess. Especially when you consider also that this movie is clearly set up for a potential sequel. For a sequel. Yep. They definitely want this to be a series of movies. And I mean, I think the casting of Millie Bobby Brown at age, what is she now? 16 years old. You know, I think that that only speaks to that because, you know, you can for the next Jesus, 15 years, if you wanted to get more (laughs) movies out of her in this role before she gets fed up and decides to go do something else. I mean, and that's like another thing I want to uh, touch upon, of course, is I want to touch upon Millie Bobby Brown and, you know, talk about not only her as an actress for this film, but also, too, she produced this movie. Yeah, this is like a passion wow. project for her, which I kind of love. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, Good for her. 
Yeah. I mean, 16 years old, you use that Stranger Things clout. Go ahead. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I really love that, you know, like she, you know, she loved this book series and, you know, written by a woman about a, you know, powerful, smart girl. And she was like, I love this and I want to make it. And I love that she did that. And she's really, really good in this. She is so bright and engaging and endearing in such a different way than she is on Stranger Things. And, and like she is, yeah. to say that like I never thought she had this in her, it would not be entirely true because she's clearly very talented on Stranger Things, but like I I never really thought that she had this kind of um performance in her based on that. It's very different from anything she's done. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. Yeah, I think it really shows her versatility because in this she's so lively and charismatic, whereas in Stranger Things she's more mysterious and quiet, sort of. Yeah, I think this is a good showcase to really show people exactly what she has as far as uh, talent because, you know, for the most part, everybody only knows her from Stranger Things. Nobody really knows her for anything else. So I thought this was such a clear breakaway from that character to show us more of her uh, versatility. And, you know, the only thing, I I have one nitpick here, but I don't lay it at Millie Bobby Brown's feet. I lay it more at the feet of uh, Harry Bradbeer. I thought that the fourth wall breaking was a little too frequent at times and maybe could have been dialed back just a little bit, especially considering, you know, the obvious uh, flea bag comparisons. I thought that there were just one too many instances of that. I thought Millie Bobby Brown sold it very well every time, but at, I, I just kept wondering, like, it, it just it just felt so obvious to me, you know what I mean? Because of the director's prior work. Um, It didn't really bother me mostly because Millie Bobby Brown sold it so well. Um, like the little asides, the glances to the camera and stuff. Mm. Every time that she did it, I really kind of liked it. And it it I I liked it because it brought me more into the world and brought me more into this character at moments when I might have been like really 
Yeah, no, I, oh, I yeah. understand that. I know what you're saying. Like I said, I think I think it's less to do with her and more to do with just the frequency of it. I thought it was just used one too many times is all. Um, but I think that, you know, she is clearly I mean, listen, we already knew that she was like a star with Stranger Things and even in a uh, subdued kind of a role like that. But here now it's like, oh, my gosh, like sky's the limit. What else can she do? What else will she do? And, you know, at such a young age, I think it's very, very exciting right now to see her really just stretching uh, her acting muscles in this way. I can't wait to see, you know, whatever genres she does next from here. And quite honestly, I enjoyed this movie enough that I wouldn't mind a, a sequel. I really wouldn't. I don't know if it will be a Netflix sequel or if Warner Brothers will, you know, maybe if things go back to normal, release it in theaters. I'm not sure how it will be handled at this point, but, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed the style. I enjoyed the character. I enjoyed the world. Do I think it's a little flawed and it's not perfect? Absolutely. But on the whole, I was very satisfied with this. Yeah, um, me too. And she reminded me in some moments of like a young Kira Knightley. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, got that vibe like high mm-hmm. praise you know like we we love Kira Knightley <laughs> so mm-hmm. um yeah and we love the versatility and I really like she is carrying this whole movie on her back and she does it kind of effortlessly and yeah by the end I was very much hoping for a sequel because I would love to be around this character again and be in this world again yeah. Shout out to Fiona Shaw in this movie as well. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that every time that she was on screen, I was just I had like the biggest, silliest smile on my face. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> and also Francis Delatour. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just like one of those inimitable character actresses who always shows up and you're like, oh, yeah, I love her. And sometimes <laughs> she shows up with a gun. Yeah. Oh my god. What a reveal. I wonder if there's like a meme of that, like that the internet can like pick up on her and her dress just holding that gun like that. Someone needs to start that. Yeah. Any other like final thoughts uh that you guys have, um, Rebecca? Uh, this was a really good surprise for me. Um, I just really enjoyed it. I thought Millie Bobby Brown and the whole cast did a great job, and I am looking forward to watching it again very soon. How about you, Dan Bear? I just love that this is exactly what it said on the tin. This is exactly the movie they sold in the trailer, and I loved the trailer. It took, caught me very much by surprise, and I just like the movie, I can't say the movie caught me by surprise because the trailer exists, but I was very impressed with how well that trailer captured the feel of this movie and I enjoyed it from start to finish. See, I thought when I watched the trailer for the first time, I thought this was actually like a mini series or something because the trailer was yes. so packed yeah. that I thought there's no way that this is all a movie. And then I realized, oh, they're actually just giving us a lot of movie. And I think that that kind of does work against it, as we said before. I think it does run a little too long. Uh, But on the whole, this was such a fun, delightful, and honestly, like, it it helped me to just kind of break away from everything that's been going on in the world for a little bit, and I I really appreciated that. Um, I have two final thoughts here 
um, the scene where um, I, I, I'm going to get his name this time. The scene where Burn Gorman is uh, drowning Enola Holmes and she says to him, no, your face is totally unmemorable <laughs> is one of my favorite like laugh out loud like lines of the year that I've heard so far. <laughs> And then there's like one part in the movie, and I just want to point this out. It is so silly. It's not even a criticism. I just need to point this out because it was like baffling to me. There's the scene where she gets away from him and uh, there's like explosions and sparkles and she's running down the street. And then as she like turns a corner, there's like an extra like in the middle of the street, just like sitting down and he's like looking around like huh what happened <laughs> he has like this most ridiculous look on his face i was waiting for like for that to come back at some point like i mean partly because it is you know like a sherlock holmes kind of movie so i was like oh i was primed to like be watching in the background of every scene for like some detail that would eventually become important so i was like waiting for that person to come back as like you know one of the women who is what keep watching guard over their fireworks factory or whatever but it never did yeah and you know i'm glad that you noticed it too and i'm like not the only one but i i just thought it was like so odd and kind of funny at the same time <laughs> so uh i give this movie i thought about this a bit i i give it a seven out of ten you know despite some of the flaws with it um i can't deny that i had such a fun time and i think a lot of that is helped by the film's editing uh by a lot of its technicals actually which as i mentioned before they're not great but they're definitely just a cut above uh the average you know of what you would normally find like the colors really really pop the editing is crisp you know the cinematography there are some shots in this where i was just like wow like that looks great <laughs> you know and so as a result, I think as a whole with Millie Bobby Brown, like at the center of it all, um, this is definitely a recommendation for me. Uh, Rebecca, what about you? I am giving it a seven out of 10. I thought it was very creative and really energetic. And I had a lot of fun with it. Dan? I, I'm i with you guys. I am at a seven out of 10 on this. It's very enjoyable. It's not quite to the point where I want to give it an eight being in like my top 10 or 20 of the year, but super enjoyable. Uh, we can't wait for the sequel. I really hope it gets a sequel and I really hope that that sequel is written and directed by women. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see, you know, if anything, you know, it's like maybe bring back Harry Bradbeard to maintain the style, but yeah, I would like to see uh, a female screenwriter and what they would be able to come up with here for sure. I agree with you, Dan. Any Oscar potential for this movie? I know we mentioned the costume design before. No. Yeah, maybe. I was beginning to wonder for a little bit about just Daniel Pemberton in general. Maybe not even necessarily for this movie, but just the fact that he doesn't have an Oscar nomination yet. And he just keeps on consistently putting out some really good scores. And I just kept thinking, you know, over and over, well, it's going to happen at some point. You know, I don't think it would be for this. But Someday, yeah. This was like a never reminder because I, I have to admit, like, as I mentioned before, I really, really like the theme that he came up with uh, for Enola Holmes in this movie a lot. Actually, I want to I want to download it. I, I left the movie running through the end credits because I was so enjoying the score. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Biggest compliment I can think of. But for real, though, on its best day, this is a costume design nominee, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. If, if, if anything, that is where it would show up. 
All right. Well, watch out, Emma. You have competition. <laughs> Dan, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. Rebecca? You can find me on Twitter at RebeccaDaniel95. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Enola Holmes here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.